Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. tonight and uh, next Wednesday night and perhaps the next Wednesday night on a word called simply motivation. Now, now I, it, I know you say motivation you will think I'm going to be a Zig Ziglar or something. But I want to talk about motivation and, and, and tonight I'm going to speak on motivation for life. For life. Not for a week. Not for a month. But for life. How do I stay motivated the greatest people in all the world are people that you don't have to make do something like make you worship or make you say praise the Lord or make you go to work or make you go look for a job the greatest people in the world are self-starters they're people that know how to get up in the morning and turn the alarm clock off before it goes off I don't do that but that's the kind of people they are just reading my notes okay the greatest people in the world are people who are understanding that if I'm a man I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go provide for my family if I'm a woman I'm a wife I'm going to be a helpmeet I'm going to do all I can to make the house a beautiful place I'm going to be what I can be for God it's self-starting people what America needs is self-starting I want to read a text to you tonight from Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 says the word of the Lord came to me saying before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nations before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Everybody say motivated, motivated. For, life. for life. Amen. Clap your hands and you can be seated. God bless. Every once in a while you run across a newspaper story that makes you think the whole world is going bonkers. Here's one from a paper in Kentucky. A youth pastor was charged with calling in a bomb threat to a western Kentucky church where he was scheduled to preach that night. The young pastor said he made the call on a Sunday evening because he was unprepared for the service. He told police he called 9-11 from the church about 6.30 that evening and told the dispatcher there was a bomb in the church. And when he was questioned... He was very cooperative, said State Trooper Larry Abel. The church was evacuated after the call, and the police search revealed no bomb. However, the 7 p.m. service was canceled. The young man had been a youth pastor at Calhoun Church for more than two years, and according to a statement from the church's associate pastor, he had delivered sermons before, but this time he was not prepared. That's what I call one way of getting out of having to preach. Have you ever noticed how some people are just lazy? 
I heard about two men who were talking about going to Australia, and one of them said, did you hear the news says there's diamond mine in the outback where diamonds lay all over the ground, and all you have to do is just bend down and pick them up. And the other guy looked offended, and he said, you have to bend down? <laughs> there was a peanut cartoon several years ago. Linus is addressing Snoopy, who's asleep on the roof of his doghouse. And he said, I quote the 20th chapter and the 13th verse of the book of Proverbs, Linus said. Love, not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Snoopy flips over on his stomach with his ears raised high. Then he sits up and ponders what Linus has said. And as he resumes his original position, he thinks to himself, I stayed awake all day yesterday, and I was still poor. <laughs> there are some real lazy people in the world today. You may have heard about the old mountaineer and his son who were sitting in front of the fire and after a long period of silence, the father said, Son, won't you step outside and see if it's raining? And without looking up, the son said, Oh, Pop, why don't you just call the dog and let him come in and see if he's wet? <laughs> That's when my son and I would have a, a set-to. Some men were discussing their TV habits. And one man mentioned his remote control, how he loved his remote control. And the other man said, That's one luxury I can get along without. I don't need a remote control. It's a sad day, he said, when I get so lazy that I can't tell my wife or my daughter to get up and change the channel. <laughs> there are some lazy people in the world. You one of them? I've got this idea. I really, really do. It's just an idea. It's not a, philo it's just not a philosophy. I'm not preaching it for, for I, I'm not prophetic here tonight. But I got this idea that a lot of people love church, but they're just too lazy to get up and get around to come to church. And so they find reasons why they don't want to go to church, but really the bottom line is that they're just a little lazy, and it takes a little effort to get up and find your shoes and find your pants and find your shirt and find your brill cream or whatever you put on your hair and find your toothpaste and it's just so easy to stay in your flip-flops and just hang loose around the house it really is on another note sometimes I think we make it too easy to join the church sometimes I think we've set the bar too low we're not wanting people to have to do anything so we say anybody can get in and I have made the statement before that Falling into a church is like falling into a swimming pool. You just let go and just fall. But even sinners like you and me have been able to get in this thing called the church. But suppose we required people to do what the Burger King people did and the Kentucky Fried Chicken people did a few years ago. Suppose we made them walk on hot coals as initiation to the church. Maybe people would take church membership a little bit more serious when they had sore feet after they left here. Adam Horowitz wrote a book called The Dumbest Moments in Business History. It's one of the greatest stories I'll ever tell you. He wrote about fire walking. Horowitz tells about a group of Burger King employees that went out on a corporate retreat to Key Largo, Florida back in the early 2000s. And the trip was a team-building exercise <laughs> for fast food chain marketing department. 
And the highlight of the training was a fire walking exercise. And each of the 100 people in attendance was to walk barefoot across an 8-foot length of hot coals while co-workers cheered. Unfortunately, the corporate ritual didn't have quite the intended effect. A dozen or so employees ended up with first and second degree burns on their feet. One of their co-workers, showing very little team spirit, was hospitalized. Some people just have incredibly sensitive feet, said one of the motivational coaches who organized the firewalk. And this would be enough, you think, to put fast food industry off the corporate mumbo-jumbo retreats forever. But a year later, a year later, a group of Kentucky Fried Chicken managers found themselves at a similar conference doing a similar firewalk with the same coach with even more casualties. 20 employees were hospitalized with foot burns and 10 more were treated at the scene. One KFC manager said, we're exploring what went wrong. (laughs) Just as a precaution, the company banned firewalking adventures at future retreats. Grateful employees would have rushed to thank their bosses, Horowitz said, but it's difficult to put much weight on oozing wounds. <laughs> they couldn't rush to tell somebody, thank you. I have a feeling that churches wouldn't grow quite as fast if we required prospective members to walk barefoot across an eight-foot bed of live coals. You think we'd be down to about 10 in a hurry? Or maybe they would grow faster. Who knows? I do know that anything that comes too cheaply in life is not appreciated. I believe with everything that's in me, there's times that we have to face the wind and say, only God knows where I'm at, but I'm going to stand true with God because God is with me and God is for me. I believe that with all my heart. I mentioned laziness and firewalking in order to deal with a bigger subject. What does it take to motivate people? What does it take? To motivate people. Millions of dollars worth of motivational books and tapes and seminars have wrestled with this question. And if you have the answer, I promise it'll make you rich. It really will. A more pressing question for many of us is how can I motivate myself to do things I know I ought to do? Can anyone relate to that question? How do I motivate me? Self-motivation is just as tricky as motivating others. And if you're not motivated, it's hard to motivate people that you're trying to motivate. That's why they have self-help books sections in bookstores. This evening, I want to talk to you about a young man. I want to preach about somebody in the Old Testament who was one of the most highly motivated men in the Bible. And yet, when you look at his story, you don't see a convert in his life. When you look at his story, you don't see anything positive happen except perhaps one thing. You see, when he prophesies the doom and gloom of Israel falling into captivity, that he does something on his own. He goes out and he buys property. He goes out and he buys land. And he makes deeds with these lands. And he brings those deeds to the house of God and puts them in the house of God and shows that he is buying land for the future because everybody was selling out. And they said, we'll not be back. But Jeremiah said, we will be back. I love people that don't give up the ship when everything is going under. I love people who will buy in a seller's market when everybody's selling out. I love people when the Dow is down saying, I'm going to purchase. I'm going to be a part of this thing because I know there's going to be a rebound. And several years later, Jeremiah was promised 
that God would restore, and he did restore. And Jeremiah came back to land and to ownership, and he was a very wealthy man when he finally died later in his life. Here's what I want to tell you. There are some times that Jeremiah probably got on people's nerves. I wrote here that Jeremiah was a prophet. He was not a bullfrog for all those who remember the three-dog night tune from the 70s. He was a prophet. He was a prophet, but he was only a teenager when God called him to prophesy. And Jeremiah protested. He said, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But God assured Jeremiah that he would put his own words in his mouth and make him a prophet to the nation. And Jeremiah, even as a young man, became a powerful communicator. And he enlivened his presentations with actions such as wearing a heavy yoke around his neck as a sign of what would happen to Israel if it did not return to God. But things didn't go well for Jeremiah. Indeed, he was known as the broken-hearted prophet because the people of Israel rejected his prophecies and ridiculed him. He was taunted. He was put in jail. And at one time, he was thrown in a pit to die. And sometimes Jeremiah became bitter. He expressed his anger. He expressed his frustration in his writings. Some believe he was murdered in Egypt by those angered by his prophecies. But still, up until the time of his death, he persisted in doing what God wanted him to do. Somebody say amen to that. Now, here's what's interesting. Jeremiah's prophecies proved to be correct. But that's little consolation to him. And it did not endear him to his critics. No prophet wants to tell people that, they're not going, that they are going to suffer and then be proven correct. That's no way to win friends and influence people. It's much more profitable to preach a prosperity gospel and to tell people that God wants to bless them in every way, including to make them rich. But that was not the message that God laid on Jeremiah's heart. Jeremiah, though, was true to his mission. And today he's recognized as one of the great prophets one of the most authentic messengers of God who's ever lived. And the question is, what kept him going when his work was not rewarded with the kind of acclaim that he expected? Are you ready? What kept him going when his work was not rewarded with the kind of acclaim that he expected? He never had a convert. He never turned anybody's heart. But when he wrote in his Lamentations, which was the weepings of the prophet, he wrote this, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And I want to declare this is important because some of us go through our daily jobs and we go through our daily lives, raising our families, working on our jobs, going to school, serving our community, and we're not rewarded either. Life is difficult. And the very people we look for sometime to support us may be completely unappreciative. Where do we find the motivation to keep going, to keep striving, to keep serving, to be all God has called us to be? I do not want to be the kind of preacher that stands in this pulpit and never compliments his church. I never want to be the kind of pastor that doesn't brag on you and say you are the finest people in all the world. But there are times when pastor's words are not there. There's times when they are floating in the abyss somewhere outside of your mind. But I will tell you this right now. I'm going to talk to you about a man tonight who knew how to be motivated in God, 
who knew how to go to a pit and not surrender, who knew how to be thrown in jail and not die, who knew how to be unbelieved and still say, thus saith the Lord, God is with us and God is for us. And I want to tell you about a man that kept himself motivated in his own life. Well, you want to hear about it tonight? You want to hear about it? The number one thing that he did, Jeremiah had a strong consciousness of God in his life. Strong consciousness. I may not get past this right here. I may preach the next two next week. Listen to the words of our lesson. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Everybody said he had a strong consciousness. Everybody say he was strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He reminds me of an Old Testament man like a New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul had so many great victories. But Jeremiah was the man that never really termed as a victorious prophet. But I believe that most people have a consciousness of God. Though generally it's not defined as that of Jeremiah. As refined as that of Jeremiah. Most of us, though, are incurably religious. Back when George Herbert Walker Bush was vice president of our country, he represented the United States in a funeral of former Soviet leader Leonard Brezhnev. And Bush was deeply moved by something that Brezhnev's widow did at the funeral. She stood motionless by the coffin for several minutes before it was closed. And then as the soldier touched the lid to close it, Brezhnev's wife reached down and made the sign of a cross on her husband's chest. Fifty years of atheism under communism had not extinguished the flame of hope that the cross represents, even for the widow of the man who led the communist regime. Most people have a consciousness of God. They really do. Some work hard at ignoring that consciousness. After all, if we admit God really knows us, we might have to plan our life and live our, live our lives accordingly. Some of us are conscious of God only to a point that we know we ought to live better. But Jeremiah had a super consciousness of God's presence in his life. He believed that God selected him even before he was formed in the womb of his mother. He believed that. He wrote that because he knew that he was God's kid. Somewhere in your life, if you're ever going to be a self-motivated person... It can't come from going to all these conferences with motivating PMI men. It has to come from within. Everything that you are comes from within. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. It has to come out of you. It cannot be rubbed on you. And somewhere in Jeremiah's life, he had something coming out of him that even when he was in a pit, he said, I know who I am. I know what I am. I know who God is in my life. And I know that I'm called of God to be what God wants me to be in my life. And somewhere in those days, he could lift his hands and still magnify the Jehovah God of his life. And when your days are bad in your life, you have to understand that there's something greater on the inside of you than there is trying to stifle your praise and your motivation in life. Amen. I got, I, I, just, I, got to, I got to tell you how I, I deal with this. When hell comes against me, I can get angry at hell. I hate to tell you I get angry. 
But the Bible said you could be angry and sin not. I get angry. I don't let hell push me around because I know whose I am. I know he knew me. I know he knew me. There's an unnamed prophet in the word of the Lord. There's an unnamed prophet in the word of God that was prophesied 350 years before he ever arrived on the earth and said he would bring Israel back to the kingdom of God. And here's what I want to tell you something. I want to say something to you right now. God knows who you are. He knows your upbringing. He knows your downsettings. And some of us have to get that consciousness, a super consciousness of God in our life because I can't paste this on you because the world will wash it right off. But if I can put something in your soul tonight, if I can make you say, I'm going to rise up and understand that when I feel down, it's when I'm going to worship God with everything that's in me. When I feel imprisoned, it's when I'm going to prophesy again. When things are not going good, it's when I'm going to sing a song of victory. When things are in, in, in incurable difficulties in my life, it's when I'm going to magnify the Lord with all my soul, with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength. It's an awesome thing to have a super consciousness of God. That's how potential is released. One day back in 2004, May of 2004, a woman who was an investor on Wall Street, her name is Catherine Rohr. She's a beautiful, beautiful story, R-O-H-R. Look her up. She made a trip to Texas, lived in New York, made a trip to Texas, and went through a prison, and it was a life-changing experience for her. Not only did she have compassion for the inmates of that prison, she saw in them a potential for the business world. She really did. Drug dealers, as slimy as they were to her, are, after all, she said, entrepreneurs. They know how to handle money. Could their potential be unleashed in a positive way? And Mrs. Rohr, Catherine Rohr, wondered this. And so she was so intrigued by the possibility that she left behind her New York investment career, moved to Texas with her husband and started a kind of ministry to help inmates develop their skills as legitimate business people. And it wasn't easy. For one thing, immediately upon moving to Texas, all her belongings were stolen by the very type of people she was coming to Texas to try to help. Some of us would have been angry. And turned back and gone back to New York right then. But this is because we do not have a strong God consciousness. Oh, my God. Catherine Rohr hung in there. She really did. Today, more than 500 inmates since 2004 have graduated from her program. And 97% of whom were employed within four weeks after release from prison. How did she do it? Catherine says she prayed to God and said, bring it on. Just bring it on. It doesn't matter what faces me. It doesn't matter what comes against me. It doesn't matter how many battles I have to fight. It doesn't matter how many people don't say I can make it work. Bring it on because I know what I have. See, I think, I think your worship ought to be that way. I think your worship ought to be, no, come on, somebody, work. no, 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 no. Your worship ought to be, hallelujah, because you have a God factor. You have a God consciousness on the inside. God knew you before you were formed in the womb. That's right. That's right. That's right. 
Hallelujah. But people wouldn't listen to his message. But still, Jeremiah would say, look, guys, we've got a problem. And they'd turn and walk away from him. But he had this strong God consciousness. And he said, this is the way it's got to be. Everybody say, God, give me a strong God consciousness. I love the Apostle Paul. You know, I, I'm not teaching about him. I'm going to teach about him later in this series. But I love the Apostle Paul. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk a little bit about him. You know, he was, he was awesome in the book of Philippians. He was awesome. He really was. He wrote the whole, he wrote many of his letters from, from jail. But he wrote the Philippians, one of the most glorious, hope-filled letters ever. He told him to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. He talked about the mind about 16 times in that small chapter, in that small book. But he was just overwhelmed in a prison writing to a church about how that they need a God factor in their life. And he went on to say in, in, in Philippians 4:19, my God shall supply all your need. He was in prison saying, I've got a God that will supply. Paul, you're in prison, but I've got a God consciousness inside of me. It doesn't matter where I am. It matters who God is and what he can do. And sometimes Americans can't get a hold of that concept that we can praise him when we're sick and we can praise him when we're out of work and we can praise him when things are not going good because that's our motivation. It's not what God's given me externally. It's what I possess on the inside and what I know. What I know. Amen. Amen. I have a hard time. I, I just, I, I, what time is it? I got to hurry. I have a hard time. I have a hard time with people that continually talk negative and say they're positive. You're not. Anybody knows the book knows out of the bunch of heart the mouth speaks. You're not. You're not positive when all you can throw out is negative. And that's the reason some people run into stumps and the stump whoops them. At least let a tree get you, not a stump. But some people, they're just, they're negative, 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 negative. And all that comes out is negative, negative. You got, if you're going to ever be motivated, you've got to get a God consciousness. It's got to come out of you. Because you're not going to win in this life if you're waiting on somebody out there to pat you on the back and say, boy, you're doing good. I like your Christianity. It's going to happen. Amen. Let's go a little further. Let's go a little further. The second thing he knew that he had been, everybody say, set apart. Set apart. Wow. I hurt my chest. I hit it so hard. <laughs> I'm teasing, just keeping you awake. Hear his words in this study tonight. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. Everybody say, set apart. Have you ever heard the phrase, he marches to the beat of a different drummer? Often people use this word to abuse and to make fun of people and call them a little weird. It means that someone is out of step with the rest of society. Like the grandma that went to see the parade one day. And saw the military band walk by and she said, everybody was out of step except my grandson, Johnny. That's what you call a loving, doting grandmother. But it means 
that we are not conforming to a conformist society. No one wants to be thought of as different. We want to make sure that if wide ties are in, we wear wide ties. If slim ties are in, we wear slim ties. And if no ties are in, we wouldn't be caught dead wearing one. And the tide moves and the, and the, and the scene shifts and, and, the, and the social order changes. And the society says, okay, this year this is in, in vogue and last year that was in vogue. And, and all of a sudden we're seeing a, an abundance of bow ties and I've, I've got some. And if I knew how to tie them right now, I'd be wearing one on Sunday. Hello, hint, hint, hint. Somebody come by the office and help me on Sunday. Usually, in fact, Sunday I'm going to wear one. If I have to cross it over, just tie it like that. Looks Western. I'm going to wear one Sunday. But it's a harmless game we play. But sometimes it can get us in trouble, this trying to conform, trying to be like, trying to fit in with society. Woody Allen told a hilarious story himself. He says he's always been afraid of doctors. Thank you, Woody. I, I agree with that. I've, I've got white coat syndrome. When I go in the doctor's office, my blood pressure jumps 20 points. And he's also tight with money. And years ago, he started to suffer with headaches, so he went to the doctor. And uh, after being examined, the physician informed him that he would need a few thousand dollars worth of testing. That was more than enough to send him running out of the office. And so Woody remembered that his old friend Billy had suffered with similar headaches. Maybe he could learn something about how Billy handled his headaches and cured them without going through the experience of being tested on those expensive tests by himself with all the money he had to give. So he'd just do what Billy did. So he called his old friend Billy, but Billy's mother answered the phone, and she informed Woody that Billy was dead. <laughs> so startled, Woody, dro Woody dropped the phone and ran out of his house, and he immediately made appointments no matter what it cost to get his headaches fixed. And two weeks and thousands of dollars later, he met with his physician and was relieved to learn that there was nothing serious wrong, no brain tumors, no cancer. So excited, Woody called Billy's mother to apologize for his hasty call two weeks ago and said before uh, that he, had, he was sorry he hung up on her. He explained to her that he'd been upset because he'd been suffering with the same headaches that had killed Billy. Oh, no, said Billy. Billy got run over by a truck. <laughs> Billy's mom said, he got run over by a truck. Headache didn't kill him. He got hit by a truck. So much for learning from Billy's experience. You remember when your mom said to you, but if everyone's doing it, and your mom said, if everyone's jumping off the cliff, would you jump off the cliff too? The crowd can be wrong. I'm going to preach right now. The crowd was wrong in Jeremiah's time. They wanted to worship idol gods and ignore the responsibility to the one true living God. And God set apart Jeremiah to confront the crowd. May I say to you that America is also becoming a society that is moving away from God. Statistics show us that many great churches in our land and millions of people still make their way to those churches, but a lot of folks are moving away from God and churches are being closed every year. But each year, believers are smaller percentage of society than the year before and our society is becoming basically hostile to Christian values. But God is looking for a people who will willingly be set apart, not smug, not self-righteous, 
not looking down on people, but set apart and say, it does not matter what you do. As for me and my house, I know what we're going to do. Amen. We need to be a people that are set apart. That's how you get motivated. You don't have to follow the crowd. You don't have to do the things the crowd is doing. If you're at a party and something breaks out, you need to leave the party. If you're someplace and something happens that you know is not right in your heart, you need to walk away. It's all right to be set apart. It's all right to say, this is who I am. It's all right to say, I don't do those things anymore. I'm preaching old-fashioned holiness right now. It's all right to say, this is what I am. This is who I am. That got me in trouble years ago. That put me in jail. That put me in a divorce court, and I'm not going there anymore. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to be set apart with God. Amen. Amen. Set apart. Set apart. Set apart. Boy, if I had time, I could tell you illustration after illustration of things that's happened in my world, my world, of how that this journey, this preaching journey has caused me to say, uh-uh, no, 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 that's fine, that's fine. No, no, no. And after all the years of saying no to some of those people, they've come back around. My daughters, very beautiful girls, and they were very precious girls and lived for God all through high school. But they were, there were just some things that my girls just didn't want to do, didn't want to go there. And we never knew about them. And my daughter, my daughter, my middle daughter one day wrote a note to herself, wrote a letter to herself, said, I have no friends. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants to be my friend in school. And today, that same daughter, who is your choir director on this platform, gets all kinds of calls from girls that said, I can't tell you how I admired you when you were in high school and how I loved the person that you were. And I didn't have the courage to come up and say, what makes you special? What makes you special? I'll tell you what it was. She had a God consciousness and she was set apart and she wasn't trying. She was brokenhearted because she thought nobody loved her and everybody loved her. It's an awesome thing to understand that you're not by yourself even though you're not walking with the wind, but walking sometimes against the wind. And the third thing I want to tell you today before I let you go, not only did Jeremiah have a God consciousness, not only was he set apart, but he lived what Rick Warren called a purpose-driven life. He had purpose. Well, I get stuck on this thing called purpose. I described purpose about three weeks ago. You need to get the tape. It's the second in a series of seven Seven things that ineffective people do. It's in the second part of that series, and I talked about purpose, and I'm not going to go back and redo it again tonight. But remember how Rick Warren begins his book. His first words are, it's not about you. Never has been. It's always about him. Wow. Wow. And when you start feeling like that nobody cares and nobody loves you, it's not about you. It's about him. I have walked out of this pulpit many, many nights, many nights. And I've said, Lord, I'm never going to preach again. Never, never, never. 23 years I've done that several times. More than I can do right here are these toes. And I've got 10 of those toes. But I will tell you this, that when I rearranged my thinking, 
and said, it's never been about me anyhow. It's never been about you. It's purpose. It's purpose-driven. God's looking for people. God's looking for people who understand that this kingdom is not their kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's about him. I'm talking about how to be motivated for life. You've got to get a God consciousness. You've got to get set apart, not just everything the crowd says you don't do. And the third thing, you have to have, to have purpose in your life. You can't get up and just aimlessly walk through life. In June of 2009, President Obama visited a prison in Germany, Buckingham Prison, where more than 56,000 prisoners were slain by the Nazis in World War II. And I think it was a moving thing to our president. But it was hell on earth to those prisoners. And among those prisoners at Buckingham was a group of Jewish doctors. And these doctors were treated like everyone else. They did not get superior treatment. They got up at 4 a.m. like everybody else. They stood for roll call after roll call on shivering cold mornings just like everybody else. They went out and worked the roads just like everybody else. When it was dark, they, brought in, they were brought in just like everybody else and given cold, thin soup that wouldn't even fill them up and barely nourished them. But when everybody else went to sleep, those doctors didn't go to sleep. They huddled in the back of their barracks and they talked to each other and they stimulated each other's minds and they talked about cases and they talked about situations among their fellow prisoners and how they might treat them if they only had the medicine and they keep challenging each other and finally they stopped talking and began to act. I love this story. They secured items from here and there. They bribed the guards to bring them materials. And they found medicine outside the wall. And with the help of some other prisoners who were electricians and engineers, they fabricated a very rudimentary x-ray machine so that they could examine their fellow prisoners and help them as much as possible. They had their own x-ray machine that they built themselves. They knew, like every other prisoner, that their own reward would be death in a crematorium. They knew that. Yet they continued to do the work of God ministering to their fellow inmates because they realized it's not about me. It's about him. Most of us don't live under those extreme conditions. Most of us never will really suffer for our faith, I don't think. Most of us will never even be socially ostracized like Jeremiah. But many of us are in situations in which we are not appreciated even though we're doing the best we can. Let me talk to you. Some of you are caring for aging parents. Some of you are, have special needs children. Some of you are working against great odds to make our community a better community or your church a better church. And sometimes you don't get the praise that you need. And we know that we're not prophets, but we do have a strong consciousness of God in our life. And we do believe that we've been set apart to make a difference. And our lives are driven by purpose to be God, all that God created us to be. But tonight, on this night, I want you to know that if nobody says, way to go, if nobody comes up and says, you're doing a great job, if nobody comes by after service tonight and says, great job with the music tonight, Randy, if nobody comes by after church and says, you did a great job speaking to us tonight, Pastor, it's all right because it's never been about us. It's about him. It's about him. And the thing that motivates me, the thing that motivates me, I had a young man come to me one night, a pastor's son. He said, boy, if I preach like that, I think I would never preach again. That was the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. That was the worst I've ever heard in my life. And I looked at him and I said, well, I tell you what, when God got me, he didn't have a whole lot to work with. I hope you do better in your life. 
he, he, he's trying to preach now. He can't get it together. But it's amazing. It's just amazing, folks, to understand that it's never been about me. It's never been about you. It's always been about him. And when you're doing the best you can do, and you know when you are because you have that motivation of that God consciousness in your life, and it's about him, and you know that because he set you apart, and he's made you walk into the wind and not with the wind. And it's, it's about him because you're purpose-driven in your life then you understand I can be motivated every day. I can get motivated every day. I can get up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made. And I may be the only one in my family living for God, but I am going to live for God. I may be the only one walking the street of righteousness, but I'm going to walk the highway of holiness. I may be the only one doing the thing that I need to do, but I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to be smug about it. I'm not going to be proud about it because it's not about me. It's about him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I was born in 1949, the last three days of the year. My dad called me his great tax deduction. True. And I'm done. But the man who was pastoring the church that my parents went to. And the other day, the other day, uh, it's kind of cute. It's kind of neat. It's a neat story. The other day, Patty was looking through some of Mama's pictures. We was going through some of Mama's pictures, and we was in the garage. We'd put all of Mama's stuff in the garage. She was going through some of her pictures, and, and we both got teary-eyed as we looked at it because there I was in church, just a little infant boy. My grandfather, my mother's mother, my mother's mother and daddy, uh, back in that day, it was funny. It was funny. Churches are so different now. But back in that day, the men sat up front and the women sat in the back. <laughs> and it was just all men. I, 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 and I know my mama hated that. <laughs> she was a liber. She was. She hated that. But I saw her. She's in the back. The only one with a hat on in the church was mama. Mama was a class act. She had this hat on, you know. She was she's a pretty woman. But I got tickled. But here I am sitting. Her, her daddy had overalls on, on the front row, holding me against his chest. And I'm listening to a tick-tock railroad clock in his overalls right here. That's what my, that's what my, uh, uh, that's what my uh, pacifier was, that. Put me to sleep with that watch. But the man that pastored that church, the man that pastored that church was absolutely one of the greatest men of faith that I never knew. When he prayed for you, you got better. When he prayed for you, you were healed. My dad was burned over half of his body, second and third degree burns. And that man prayed for him, and my daddy was healed. My dad was healed. My dad was healed of second, third degree burns. I was, I was at the point of death when I was just a couple of days old, and the doctor said, there's no, there's no hope. 1949, early 1950, there was no hope. There wasn't anything to do. And that pastor came into that hospital and put one hand in the incubator on this end and held my little legs up and put another hand through the other end and held my neck up and held me up to the Lord and said, Lord, heal him or take me. 
because he's going to grow up to be a preacher of the gospel. How do you know that? Same way Jeremiah knew. And mom and dad didn't tell me that when I was a little boy, but same way Jeremiah knew that God knew him before he was formed in the womb. That's how you know. And yet that man never got any accolades, never passed over about 75 to 100 people, never got any accolades. He's gone on to his reward. How did he stay motivated? How did he stay motivated? When he lifted up somebody and he said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be healed. When he preached to somebody and said, may the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be on your life. When he signatured everything he did with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew that God was in him. And he knew that God had set him apart. And he knew that his purpose in life was to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he stayed motivated all the days of his life. And he died a happy man without any notoriety. Because he knew he had done what God asked him to do. That's a motivated life. So it's not looking at somebody across the way and say, boy, I wish I had their life. It's not looking over here and say, boy, I wish I had that life. No, you need to live the life you have to the best of your ability because God made you. He made you unique. He created you special, and he's with you right now. Stand to your feet all over the house. Amen. You're wonderful people. Clap your hands. Clap your hands. Clap your hands. Clap your hands. Amen. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.